the church world is changing. We are moving to a new model of church. Here's one problem. All of you depend for your livelihood on the current model. Mm -hmm. And so it's a difficult conversation for a priest to stop and think, am I perpetuating a model to sustain myself? Encouraging, inspiring, and equipping leaders. This is Coach and Joe. In this episode, Andy and I are going to take a look at how can a pastoral staff, lead pastor, church organization, take some practical steps away from an old model and into this new wineskin of Ecclesia, which is actually an old wineskin. In this end time move of the Lord Jesus Christ before he returns, you're seeing the early church rise again. So what does that look like? How does leadership at a local church not just nod and wink at the kingly, but invite the kingly in to not just give opinions, but maybe even some high-level leadership in, in what's known as the church. It's time to get practical of what it looks like for Ecclesia to manifest in our sphere of influences. Welcome to Coach and Joe. My name is Chad Norris here with Andy Stone, part two of a conversation on kingly priestly. Instead of it being a war, instead of it being misunderstandings and priestly world hiding itself from the big bad world and kings looking down their nose really at small-minded leadership in, in many cases. What if these two worlds became one? We're passionate about it. Let's do this. I want to hear what you have mined out really of seeing what the father's already doing. What are some practical steps? Andy, what are some practical steps of these two worlds slowly moving to become one? I think step number one is humility. Um, Me too. So both for kings and for priests, um, they we need each other. And so that humility begins to look like a willingness to say, let's sit down and be willing to submit ourselves to one another and ask for each other's input into, into each other's lives. Um, for me, practically, that's looked like beginning to get five, six, seven business leaders together in a group and begin to ask the questions of what does it look like for the father to be in the center of your business? And what does it look like for you to play your part here within a, within a local church? What, what has Jesus taken hold of you for? And how can we stand with you to see that really play out and happen? How long were you a lead pastor? Um, I've been doing it for about coming up to 20 years now. Okay, so I've I've been I've been a lead pastor I think for eight, been in ministry the the ministry world for twenty five, and recently in the past two years my mentor, uh, Mike Hardegree, who's never been on a church staff, he's from the the kingly world, marketplace world, uh, has just really God's used him to just really help me make this transition from priestly ministry into now both priestly and kingly with owning a business etc. I want to talk about the priestly world because you and I have, it sounds like we have 45 years experience in the priestly world. Let's say a lead pastor is listening to us. Let's say associate pastors lead, an itinerant minister, whatever, missionary. On that side of things, I, I personally think that when it comes to churches becoming more like Antioch centers, apostolic outposts than what we know is the norm, that lead pastor of that congregation has got to be open to this conversation. Absolutely. You know, Heidi says all the time, love has to look like something. Ecclesia has to look like something. And until that lead pastor, and it cannot be someone working for that person, it has to come from the top. Until that lead pastor is not only open 
to the advice of the kingly, the input of the kingly, it's not going to be established in a local body. Mm-hmm. It can't. Yep. God can't move uh, around the structures he's already deemed as appropriate. Oil flows from the top. Let's talk about lead pastors. What do they do to move into this Ed Silvosa Ecclesia model? I think, again, coming back to my first thing, humility is a big part of this. You know, the the, the guys who are involved in kingly uh, enterprise have an ability to steward, steward finance much better than and a vision. church leader. And vision. Vision, uh, the how-to. Structure. Structure. They, yep. they, they do that stuff every day of their lives. Mm-hmm. So the churches that I've seen be successful have had to think about what are we doing? How are we doing it? Recognize strengths, recognize weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And the reality for a lot of um, pastors is that they're trying to figure out how do I lead this thing and be an expert in everything? Whereas in fact, part of the humility journey is, you know what? I can't steward the finance that the father wants this place to have on my own without having people who are used to multi-million dollar deals. I think what I hear you saying besides uh, humility, let's talk about money. Yeah. Okay, so I don't care. what. Let's say you're running a convenience store, a grocery store, an athletic performance center. I can name a thousand more. A real estate company. Money's in play. Yep. Jesus talked about money more than anything else he talked about. It's bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be bizarre, but it is. He talked about it so much. If a lead pastor... Uh, I feel like the father's showing me right now, even I, I grew up in the Baptist world. See, it, it was not elder run, mm-hmm. staff run by the quote unquote lead pastor, lead priest. And then you have deacons. Well, elder boards a little bit differently. If, if ecclesia is going to manifest in your midst, besides humility, the leader of that congregation and whoever's over the finances, that team, there's no way around the fact you have to have elders on that board who don't just nod and say yes, but they give input and authority yes. into the structure of money to run the organization. Yes. I think right there, that does not happen in many places. And it's the first way to identify when a local church is actually not open to this ecclesia model. What do you hear me saying? I hear you saying that um, it, it, money is very important in this conversation and actually us recognizing that we've got to have a rigor in the way that we steward what we're doing is incredibly important. For example, I, w- I work with a multimillionaire in Sheffield who didn't want to give his money to the local church he was in. It wasn't my church, but he didn't want to give his money to that church. And the reason he didn't is because he felt the church was wasting money mm-hmm. and he cared about the stewardship of resource. Church, let's take, so that's the business side, that's the king side. Let's take the church leader side on this. Church leaders are often scared of money. They think they read everything about mammon. They they believe the kings are actually being ruled by their desire for mammon. And the reality is we meet people like that all the time, mm-hmm. whose, whose highest goal is to produce the highest level of financial capital. Mm-hmm. What we've talked about is financial capital is the least important capital mm-hmm. out of the five capitals. Can you please list the five in order? So in order... Um, of most important to least important. We believe spiritual capital is the highest capital. Um, Connecting with the Father, if you connect to him and you do what he's saying, that's Jesus' model. He only did what he saw the Father Mm -hmm. doing. The next most important is relational capital, um, who you're connected to, who you're relating to. Mm -hmm. I know business guys understand that. That's how they do their business. 
Third most important is physical capital. If you're not well, if you've got a migraine, you can't lead a meeting. And it's also physical being, there's only 24 hours in every day. Correct. It's the stewardship of time. It's the limitation of us as human beings mm -hmm. um, and, and our resource. Um, intellectual capital, what you know, what you've upskilled yourself in, in terms of knowledge and wisdom, and then financial capital. And you can, the, you can interact all of the capitals with each other. The, the reality is, I think, for the priest-king conversation, it comes down to trust. The kings don't trust the priests mm -hmm. to steward their money. And the priests think that the kings are going after money as the highest form of, you know, their, their wealth. All right, well, let's talk about this conversation like we would marriage counseling. So we have two sides, kingly and a priestly. There are a lot of thought out there of, well, there's two sides to every story and it's always 50-50. That's not true. I, I've seen over the years and just in my experience, that's not true at all. It sounds good on paper. Matter of fact, I would say most of the time there is a more, when a, let's just say a married couple is going through extreme conflict, it's almost always more weighted on one person, not, not to blame or throw stones, but uh, objectively helping two people reconcile. Can it be 50-50? Well, of course it can. In my experience, that's actually not true. And helping one person get a big, bigger breakthrough actually helps the two become one. Well, if I am looking at this conversation, I, I, to me, it has to start with the priestly Andy. Absolutely. I really believe that. Yes. And so it, it, let's be objective. I, I had a, the Holy Spirit reminded me, I had a dream where 300 lead pastors were circling me. I knew some of them and they wanted to kill me. And I was like, what is that all about? It's about this conversation. Yeah. Let's start with uh, pastoral staffs and leadership. If the leader, the chief, whoever's leading, is not open to the DNA of Ecclesia, because Ecclesia has to look like something, then you know therein lies the problem. And here is what the problem is, control and power. Yeah. I don't know who led Tolkien to the Lord. I have no idea. You told me last night that he led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. It's amazing. I always got that backwards. Go watch Lord of the Rings. And this may seem crazy to people, but I'm going to say it. People think that the control and, and, and greed and power is more in the kingly world. I disagree. I agree. I think it's not even close. It's more in the ecclesial, in, uh, yes. excuse me, the ecclesiastical world. It's in the priestly world. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Have you seen that manifest? Yes. So I tell you what, if a, if a lead pastor is listening to me, say you have a church of 20 people or 2,000, you have the ability to, to pivot and to lead your organization into surrounding yourself, not just with the yes people, but people who lead you, who you submit to that don't draw a salary from the local church and know more than you, know better than you, know how to increase wealth more than you. All of this, though, is in the lead priest hands. What do you hear me or the Abba saying? I think that there's a huge repentance that needs to happen with many priests. I remember a very awkward conference I was in in Harrogate in the north of England where there were 2,000 priests sat before someone who said, the church world is changing. We are moving to a new model of church. Here's one problem. All of you depend for your livelihood on the current model. Mm -hmm. And so it's a difficult conversation for a priest to stop and think, am I perpetuating a model to sustain myself mm -hmm. here? And there's a deep thought and repentance that needs to happen there within the church. Are we in this for ourselves or are we in this for what the Father's doing? He's shaking his temple. Andy, what, what's Acts 13 Antioch to you in light of where we're at in this conversation? 
because Antioch was not that. Antioch is, what did we call it growing up in elementary school? Not the key test, the the test that it was the the standard. I can't remember what we called it, but it, every, all the kids wanted to know that the teacher would have it in the folder is every correct answer of like, oh, I want my test to match that test. I can't remember what it's called. Antioch is the standard. It is the, I love steak, you know that. Do you know the difference in a ribeye and a prime ribeye? It's not close. If you get top 1% meat in America and you eat that steak, that's when people like ask you into their heart. It's so good. <laughs> Antioch is, yep. what was Antioch? Why does it matter? So Antioch was a resourcing and equipping church. It mm-hmm. was, a, it was a, a central hub that people continued to return to that, that created a place of teaching, equipping, resourcing, sending. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, is the, is the core of what we want to be um, at, in this house as an Antioch. It's not about how can we recruit people to come and get into a very large building. Correct. It's how can we equip and train and prepare and resource people to be out expanding mm. the kingdom where they are, whether that's going as a missionary or just being a missionary in your business in your local city. I think that's what God's doing. And so I want you to answer this question. And he's not just doing it here. He's doing it in lots of places. Answer this question then. Money and the spirit of mammon are not the same thing. At the core of this conversation for leaders of a local church who are not open to the model we just talked about, spirit of mammon is in operation. What is that? So uh, spirit of mammon basically is where money has you. It's not that you have money. Mm-hmm. It's that money has you. Mm-hmm. You are subject mm-hmm. to, to that God. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a demonic entity that you are subject to, not to the Lordship of Christ. And that's why, you know, many churches, um, it's funny, I read it this morning, uh, the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've kept all these commands. You know, a lot, many churches would immediately want to recruit him onto the elder board because not only had he kept all the commandments, he was also a wealthy guy who'd be great to have come into the church. Yeah. What did Jesus say? He said, uh, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he knew money had him mm-hmm. and he wanted him free. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's very, very important to the Lord, which is why he talks mm-hmm. about money so much. How do we get free from being under that idol? You know what I want to see happen here? And, you know, it's go at the father's pace. I want to see first fruits giving into this house, go right back out of this house. I want to see the people that run the Antioch be paid off of income generating models. Yeah. The school, the media department, et cetera, yeah. Yeah. running our own businesses. What if everything taken into first fruits? What if we targeted a 30, 40, 50 mile radius? And we were not just going after the least of these, not just the marginalized, not that. But what if we were creating other platforms of training and equipping? What if, Andrew, Antioch began to multiply? All right, let's go back and we'll close here. This conversation makes a lot of priest. I say priest. I'm not I'm not referring to like Catholic priests. Just think lead pastors, pastoral staff, church as we know it, right? Just want to be clear with that. This the conversation right here, as you and me begin to train more and more and more lead pastors how to shift their models into ecclesia. This is the part where it's like, hey, it's all fun and games to listen to y'all, but I'm not going to do that. Go back to the 1500s. 
Luther did not and Zwingli and Calvin those they did not just come up against theological tyranny. They came up against uh, methodological tyranny. Mm-hmm. Andy, not much has changed. What if little Wittenbergs are popping up everywhere? The church is changing whether we like it or not. I thank you for joining us uh, today on Coach and Joe. This is just great conversations. Uh, perhaps some of these conversations you don't like. That that may be a great litmus test to know that the Father's trying to speak something to you. You know, Read books you don't agree with. Listen to conversations that trigger you. It's okay to get triggered. Uh, the, no one triggers me more than the father has in the past 20 years. He shifted my theology, my methodology, pretty much everything, my marriage. I think I once thought that uh, my wife was there just to, I guess, worship me or something. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what was in the thought pattern there. But the, the truth is, maybe Jesus puts us in detention to help us grow. Yep. And it's time to grow. See you soon on the next episode of Coaching Joe. Thanks for joining us on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast. Don't miss the Coach and Joe Talk Show on YouTube and check out coachandjoe.com for more resources, blogs, and merch. We will see you next time.